I've entitled this message, Too Stressed to Pray. You ever been too stressed you can't pray or felt like you can't pray? Too stressed to pray. And as I was looking at this text, I was thinking of a phrase that has originally come from a book, a 1961 book uh, entitled Catch 22. You know, the writer of uh, this, uh, Joseph Haller, he got this phrase. He was actually initially going to call it Catch 18, but there was another book similar. So he called it Catch 22. And it was the whole thought of a combat, combat pilot. It was a bit of a war kind of uh, feel. And um, a combat pilot was crazy by definition. The writer says he would have to be crazy to fly combat missions, very dangerous and very few survived in those days. But army regulations stipulated that insanity was a justification for being grounded so they could get out of flying. A pilot could avoid flying duty by simply asking. But if he asked, he was demonstrating his sanity because anybody who wanted to get out of combat missions was sane. So if he asked, he was declared sane, therefore he had to keep flying. So the catch 22 thought soon entered our language as a label for any, a label for any irrational, circular, impossible situation. One person said, like in showbiz, here's an example, showbiz, Catch 22, no work unless you have an agent. However, no agent unless you've worked. It's kind of like, you know, you're just left school and you're applying for jobs and the job says, need experience. Well, how do I get experience unless you give me a job? So many people get caught in those irrational, circular, impossible situations. And when I'm looking at this text, you know, I thought about the disciples here. No doubt they appear too stressed to pray. However, prayer is the very thing that'll help them overcome their stress. So they're caught in this dilemma. Let's have a look at our text, Luke 22, 44 through 46. The Bible says, and being in agony, this is Jesus, he prayed more earnestly Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. When he arose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. I wanna have a look too stressed to pray. And first of all, consider the moment or the moments we face. If we're looking in the life of disciple, this is now coming to the very end. This is talking no doubt about the garden of Gethsemane and uh, the Lord praying uh, and praying the Bible says in agony. But you know, most of the time Jesus's ministry, recorded ministry for three to three and a half years with his disciples wasn't like that. It was a ministry full of victories. They had so many high points as you read through the Gospels. Uh, it's even hard to articulate fully from you know, the disciples, their original calling, especially the fishermen. They had a miracle catch and that triggered their, their calling and you'll be fishers of men. And the feeding of the multitude, the 
feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, the basketfuls left, the miracles of Christ, blind eyes opening, deaf ears uh, hearing, the raising of Lazarus. He's in the tomb. He's, he's passed just in a resuscitation of 20, 30 minutes from now. It's days. And Jesus said, roll the stone away. Lazarus come forth and he comes out of the tomb. The disciples saw all this. No doubt as we're now coming to where we're at, Palm Sunday, you know, in a week before Easter, uh, everybody's rejoicing. You know, the Pharisees make a comment in John 12, 19, and the Pharisees said amongst themselves, you see that, uh, that you're accomplishing nothing. Look the world has gone after him. So the Pharisees are making a statement, the whole world's gone after Jesus. Or that's what it appeared. These are pretty heady days, aren't they? These are pretty exciting moments. And uh, John concludes his gospel in John 21 verse 25 and said, and there are also other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, amen. And that's how he finishes it. So he's saying, listen, we've, I've given a detailed account and no doubt Matthew, Mark uh, uh, and Luke has as well, but we haven't included all that Jesus did. So you're thinking about if you're a disciple, I've just picked some highlights, but it's been the most captivating, exhilarating three plus years a person could ever hope for. It's been incredible. You know, I thought to myself on a far less scale, You know, when I first got saved in 1981, just to experience the move of God that we had uh, in the church, the potter's house there, it was incredible. It's just moments of glory. Everything the church did turned to gold. Every outreach basically was a success. People coming in, getting converted. It was the literal talk of the town. The potter's house church was the talk of the whole city. It was pretty exciting, heady days. Uh, uh, Only a small degree, but a glorious moment. This is where the disciples are at. Three and a half years of this to another level. But where we're coming now in our text is a different moment. As the disciples follow Jesus in the run up to our text that we're going to read, the mood starts becoming darker. There's certain dark clouds. It's definitely more sombre. Now in Matthew 16, verse 21, and from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the eldest chief priests, scribe, be killed and raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and rebuked him. So, You know, we see that was the beginning. Jesus starts talking about that and it's so out there from what they're experiencing. Peter says, not so, Lord. (laughs) I I don't see that. That's not going to happen. Then we go to the Last Supper in Matthew 14, uh, verse 18. Now as he sat and ate, Jesus said, surely I say to you that one of you who's eating with me will betray me. Wow, that went down like a lead balloon, didn't it? 
You know, they're all, uh, you know, eating away and having a good fellowship and enjoying the Passover meal with Christ. And He just says, you know what? There's only 12 of them and Jesus, one of you is gonna betray me. Hmm. It's kind of like, you know, it's, you know, our concerts sometimes, you know, if you show, you know, that passion crucifixion too early in the night, it's, it's pretty heavy, isn't it? You just... <laughs> It's hard to watch. It's hard to go through, isn't it? And so it's like that moment. This is what they're experiencing, the Last Supper. Then after the supper, Jesus said in verse 27 of Mark 14, all of you shall stumble because of me tonight. And then to Mark 14, verse 30, Jesus said, As surely I say to you today that even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So the whole mood's starting to change, isn't it? He's talking about his death and, and he's talking about betraying and he's talking about disciples scattering and denial of even the key man, Peter. This is all leading up to our text. And then Jesus finishes the the Last Supper or the Passover with His disciples. And now He goes to the Mount of Olives, which is in Jerusalem. Amen. The disciples are there minus Judas. Judas left after the supper. He's gone off. He's looking for His money, 30 pieces of silver and His opportunity to betray. Now Jesus is going to the Mount of Olives and then He's gonna go to the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. And He makes this comment, Luke 22, verse 40. And he came to the place and he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then Jesus withdrew a stone's throw and knelt down himself and prayed. So this is where we see our text. And Luke in his gospel, because he's a medical man, Dr. Luke, he's the only writer that notes these two phrases that I'm looking at tonight. In Luke 22, 44, none of the other gospel writers write it as specific because he's looking from a medical perspective. And he said, and being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So Luke picks this up. You know, that word agony is the struggle, the wrestling, severe mental struggling, Thea said, emotions, anguish. Another version of the Bible says, and in his anguish, he prayed more earnestly. So now you think about that, he's a stone's throw away. Some people can throw stones longer than others. If we get a competition out here, how far is a stone's throw that he went and prayed, you know? So he, he, that's what the Bible says. So he's a little bit of distance. He's praying, but the disciples and the whole lead up, the, the whole mood of things has changed. It's not the glory of Palm Sunday. It's not the resurrection of Lazarus. It's not the blind man seeing. He's talking about betraying, stumbling, his own death. And he said, where I go, you cannot go. And the, the, all of these things now are perplexing, no doubt. And then when he goes and prays, the Bible says, and Luke picks it up, and being in agony, his Jesus Christ, the strong masculine leader. The leader that they followed the last three and a half years is now in emotional distress. 
I think that's even heavier and stronger than even the words that he said earlier. They're seeing that Jesus is shaken, that Jesus is in emotional distress. It's almost like a number of grown children have talked about seeing their father perhaps as he aged and maybe he's had heart issues, maybe he's had a heart operation, maybe there's other medical things and you can see him not that strong person anymore. Maybe he's weeping all the time. Maybe he's struggling with other things and you, you, know, you try to process that. Someone who's always been a tower of strength, has always been there, very capable, very strong. You've looked to them, but they're in emotional distress. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so the disciples are seeing this in Jesus Christ, their spiritual leader, the one who's been strong all the time is clearly in agony and definitely not in upbeat mood. Luke then goes on to speak about the sweat and blood or they call it sweating blood and it's a rare medical condition where one's sweat can contain blood. The sweat glands, this person writes, are surrounded by tiny blood vessels that can constrict and then dilate to the point of rupture, causing blood to effuse into the sweat glands. And many times it's caused by anguish or great stress. So here's the disciples now in the midst of this circumstance and a season, they've never faced this before. Jesus in our pretext said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. However, the Bible says they're not praying. The Bible indicates they're too stressed to pray. So look then secondly at feeling overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. As a companion text, uh, uh, Mark 14 verse 36 says, and he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. The Amplified Bible says, uh, my soul is exceedingly sad, overwhelmed with grief. So that almost kills me. Remain here, keep keep awake and be watching. So as I said, there's an emotional exhaustion, there's drain, there's wrestle, no doubt. There's spiritual battle going on. It's a spiritually charged moment. The disciples are feeling it as well. I mean, no, when you're close with other people, you feel other people's mood, don't you? So they're feeling the situation. They're knowing something's uh, deep going on and uh, they're feeling uh, no doubt what Jesus is feeling. You know, what do people do when they feel overwhelmed? One clinical psychologist, um, Carly Manley says, in, in psychology, escapism is generally defined as a desire or behaviour to ignore, evade or avoid reality. Goes on to say, during traumatic experiences, many individuals naturally escape the situation mentally in order to avoid further distress and psychological harm. 
So one of the realities of being overwhelmed or too stressed is escapism. I remember when I, as a younger man, I had a, had a friend, this is before I got saved, I went over to his house. His dad had a, a wall plaque on the wall and um, I remember it to this day and I kind of thought about it again today and it actually said, uh, it's an old Irish quote. God bless the Irish, can you say amen? It says, when you get drunk, we fall asleep. When we fall asleep, we commit no sin. When we commit no sin, we go to heaven. So let's all get drunk and go to heaven. That was his plaque. Obviously it made the the father of this man feel better about his escapism of alcohol abuse. Can I just say, I don't believe in that doctrine. I just wanted to, I just wanted to just let you know. I don't believe that's true Bible doctrine. Might be Irish doctrine, but it's not true Bible doctrine. So alcohol and drug abuse is escapism, isn't it? Listen, our world is full of the entertainment industry. It's all about escapism. Escaping to another place, to another situation, you know. And, you know, historically people would go and escape into some, you know, movie situation. And they escape for two hours or whatever. But, you know, today it's binging, isn't it? People literally have the ability to binge. I think there's even streaming services called that, isn't there? Binge, hours after hours, sometimes days, and people are just throwing themselves into escapism. So look, that's talking about the world, alcohol, drug abuse, and even could be uh, prescription drug abuse but it's escapism. But let's now bring it closer to us, to Christian people in the church. Do Christian people also sometimes go into escapism? In our text, there's a heaviness, a sadness, a grief, a sorrow on the disciples. In verse 45, this is where Luke was very interesting. When he arose up from prayer, this is Jesus, and he came to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Luke's the only one that gives any explanation. Only one that gives any idea. You know, we've, if you read the Matthews account, it says that he came back three times. First time, they're sleeping. Second time, they're sleeping. Third time, you're still sleeping. If you read that, you kind of, what's wrong with these guys? But the Bible speaks here and Luke says, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Selwyn Hughes, a Christian writer in his book, uh, Home in Reality said, sadly, many Christians are gripped with an escapist mentality, even though they know God. In our text, their escapism was sleep. Dr. Luke, as he writes this, their untimely or unusual sleep patterns had a link to their emotional state. In verse 44, 
Luke 22 in another version says, they were worn out by their grief. Another says, and overcome with sadness. So people can uh, just sleep. Sometimes when people are depressed, they just wanna sleep and sleep. It's an escapism, isn't it? Or it can be. So it could be that. Others could be escaping into the past, trying to escape unpleasant present day realities as they live in the past and glorify it. Escapism in the past. Could be, thirdly, escapism, fleeing responsibility. Jonah was an escapist, wasn't he? The Bible speaks, he, he escaped uh, from the call of God, from the presence of God, went, decided, uh, I'm gonna go in the opposite direction. I'm going to uh, Spain. Jonah 4 verse 2, uh, he says, Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. Amen. He fled. It was an escapism. Another version of that same verse says, I did my best to run away to Spain. King David writes in Psalm 55, 6 and 7, all that I had the wings of a dove and I'd fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. So he's escaping the situation. Escaping the pressure, escaping the people. Dr. Halliday speaks about another escaping. He said, a girl on the eve of an important examination developed a neurosis, a nervous inflammation in an arm, and so withdrew herself effectively from the, necess- from the necessary of undergoing the exam. He said, when this doctor did analysis, he proved that the fear that she had of, of this examination, uh, amen, uh, was no doubt some type of psychosomatic uh, direct uh, link to her illness. And begins to talk about escapism with stress-related illness. So in our text, the Bible says in Luke 22 verse 45, and he arose from prayer, came to the disciples and found them sleeping with sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? You know, when Jesus asked a question, there's a question mark, you have to ponder that for a moment. Why are you escaping? Why aren't you doing what you should do? Then he tells them, rise and pray, rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Why do you escape? Well, then look finally at the final point, the prayer dynamic, the prayer dynamic. We read through Scripture, we read about a man named Elijah. Elijah was a great man of God, a great prophet of God, but he had a a, a moment, a time of great stress himself and then he had uh, Jezebel after him and we see in 1 Kings 19 verse four, and he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness, came and sat down underneath a broom tree and prayed that he might die and said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life. Look at all the classics. In this season, he stressed. He feels overwhelmed. He isolates himself. He escapes. He gives up. He desperately needs to hear the voice of God, the still small voice, but that's still a long way away. We find Elijah in this place. 
I'm sure if the disciples are in this place and if Elijah's in this place, from time to time, you and I may be in this place. Or maybe are in this place. Our disciples consider where they are in the scheme of things. It's pre the death of Christ. It's before His resurrection. And it's before the infilling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. In some ways, I think we see our disciples, yes, following Jesus, but no doubt lacking some power in their life. Acts 1 verse 8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. How many know no Christian should ever resist being filled with the Holy Spirit? Doesn't make sense. If you're resisting wanting to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to ponder some things about that. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We need that power. This is no doubt a lack in the disciples. In Philippians 3 verse 10, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, something powerfully was triggered. The world was never the same when, from when Jesus rose from the dead. Can you say amen? The Bible says even the place of the dead was shaken up. He led them captive, that those are in captivity into the presence of God. He took the keys of death and hell and the grave. He rose triumphantly, something powerful. Even in the city of Jerusalem, dead saints come out of tombs and appeared, you know, all these things happen. The world changed when Jesus rose from the dead, but that's still a little way away. We see the disciples without the resurrection and without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where we see them. But you know, some Christians live there, not because they have to, but either ignorance or because they decide to live there. Henry Ford, that great inventor and thinker, he said, when everything seems to be going against you, remember that an aeroplane takes off against the wind, not with it. That was an interesting thought, wasn't it? You know, if you live anywhere around the airport, you know they, they change the way they either land this way or they land that way, depend, or they take off this way. They, they take off into the wind, isn't that right? They've realised that you don't go with the wind, you go into the wind that gives you lift. Powerful way to think about it. Could it be the greatest lift that you and I are facing could be when there's some strong headwinds? A lift. And we're on the edge of that in our text. A transcendent power. Think about our Saviour. No doubt the Bible says He had the Spirit without measure. No doubt He's without sin. No doubt He's the perfect role model. And he's there in the garden. There is still spiritual battle. There is emotion and the agony that he's going through. He's facing, as John Wesley said, grappling with the powers of darkness, feeling the weight of the wrath of God. At the same time, surrounded with, against mighty host of devils uh, who exercises all their force and malice to persecute and distract his wounded spirit. Yet what he does, he prays more 
earnestly. Even with stronger cries, Jesus stepped up his prayer as hell stepped up its assault. I want you to think about that. That's what the scripture says. Luke twenty two forty four 44 again, being in agony, listen, he prayed more earnestly. As I said, the disciples and many times can be asked, when we're in that place, we say, I'm too stressed to pray. I'll give you some help a little bit in a moment. A man named David Wilkerson saw an incredible revival in New York City. He was a Pentecostal preacher and he felt stirred by God to turn the TV off and pray. That was an interesting dimension, wasn't it, in his day? Prayed and God put his burden on for the gangs of New York. He then moved from the country place that he was pastoring, went to New York City and began to try to preach and minister to these drug addicts. And you know, the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, Nicky Cruz, one of his converts, Run Baby Run, incredible testimonies. He started seeing breakthroughs in young men and young women getting saved and he started a church there. Listen, I've had the privilege of going into the church on Times Square in New York City. I've had, I've had the, he's passed away now. He's with the Lord, but what a great opportunity to be in that place. But his story's quite amazing. When he got these drug addicts saved, and listen, there's a lot of things to pull them back. The forces of addiction, the forces of hell, old peer friends. You know what he'd tell these young men and women? When you're feeling the pressure of temptation, when, when, when the battle's the most intense, the church will be open. You need to come to the church and pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the pray in the tongues. He's a Pentecostal. He believed Pentecostal power has the power to help you overcome in that incredible stressful moment. I think Sonia would testify. Her father found out working with the drug addicts in Russia, unless they got filled with the Holy Ghost, they weren't going to make it. They're not going to make it. Some people that you've been here for a long period of time, you remember your salvation. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit and the power of God, you wouldn't be here. Listen, you know, the forces and focus of temptation and struggle, that's why you have a deep prayer life today. You had to fight. Sometimes second generation can miss that, can't they? They've been handed so much and you think, well, I can actually go through my day without praying at all. Actually, I can go two days. Actually, I can go a week. Actually, I can go a month. Who's better than the month? Put up your hand. <laughs> Listen, in my early years of salvation, if I, if I missed a day, I was in deep trouble. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I needed God, I needed, I needed that. You know, today, you know, it's no different. Years ago, there was a pastor even in this church, years and years ago, he's passed away now, but he got ulcers and stress-related problems and got all that, and the problem was he wasn't praying. You're not gonna be able to do it. 
Wilkerson said, listen, go. You know, they documented the miracle of his drug rehabilitation in New York City and the, the team challenge that he opened and all they could come, or the secular people said, his success rate just blows everybody else out of the water. And they called it the Jesus factor. Read it yourself. The Jesus factor makes all the difference. The Jesus factor can make the difference in your life. You know, the Bible's very clear as we bring this to a close. Romans 8 verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groans that cannot be uttered. So here is Romans and Paul's saying that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You're in a time of weakness. The Spirit wants to help you. If you, if you feel like you can't pray or you don't know what to pray or you're too stressed to pray, pray in the Holy Ghost. Do you know, it's like Hannah, isn't it? She's under a lot of pressure. You know, the, her rival's provoking you. You can't have any children. You're not blessed of God and on and on and on. And, you know, she goes to the house of God. You know, Eli's there as the priest and he's watching her from the stage or wherever he was. And he sees the intensity of her prayer, but no words are coming out. And it's very unusual. And he goes, are you drunk? Put away your wine. He goes, no, I'm not drunk, but there's anguish and agony in my spirit. She prayed more earnestly. It was an unusual prayer. Eli noticed it was different. This is what I'm talking about. Oh, thank God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank God. You know, the height of the Civil War, the great leader Abraham Lincoln said, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. Well, no wonder he was their greatest president or one of them. Isaiah 40 verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Thank God. Mount up wings like eagles, run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, those that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Nelson Mandela, the great leader in South Africa said, it always seems impossible until it's done. I'd say he accomplished quite impossible feats but it always seems impossible. You say, well, pastor, you know, what I'm experiencing in my life, I'm just, I'm too stressed to pray. I would say you're too stressed not to pray. And here is the disciples in that moment. You know, maybe there are some people in that moment right now. Maybe there are some people that may be in the moment. Maybe there's some people that have been in the moment, but I wanna give you encouragement Jesus, no doubt, is our role model. When he was in that time of agony and anguish, he stepped up in his prayer. He prayed more earnestly. And now Jesus said, I've given you my Holy Spirit. There's resurrection power available. The power of my resurrection, that changes all the equations. He's defeated death, hell and the grave. 
You can conquer, you can overcome. And I'd say as we bring this to a close, the disciples went through that moment. They were scattered for a time. Thankfully, they came back together and day of Pentecost changed their life. They got filled with the Holy Spirit and they become a powerhouse for God. Maybe you've failed in this area in the past. Maybe you've looked to escapism. But I want to say, look unto Christ tonight. Can you say amen? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heads bowed and eyes are closed just for a few moments. I would say the, the graphic that was done, too stressed to pray, had a just number of news articles. It just talked about even just general life in the world. No doubt we're living in a, a generation that can be oppressed and overwhelmed and stressed. I want to give an opportunity right now before I do anything else. And the first call is for those that perhaps are here, you're visiting or you're not right with God and God's dealing with you to get things right. You'll be willing to turn from your sins, to turn from your own ways, turn to the cross, turn to Christ. Bible talks about repent and believe. And you're willing to do that. No one looking around for a moment. Pastor, would you remember me in prayer? Lift up your hand. Say, remember me in prayer. I'm not right with God. God bless you for that hand. Who else? I'm not right with God. Oh, I'm a backslider and I need to get those things right. Who else is going to lift their hand? Now's your moment right now. Thank you, Jesus. All across this place, left and right, front and back. Is there somebody else? Praise God. Changing the call then. We see the disciples in a moment. There were so many victorious moments they had and thank God for all of that. Thank God for the time of, of great victory. Thank you for the overcoming. Thank you for the joy of salvation. Thank you for, you know, the new convert experience and you know, all of those things. Thank God for that. But you know, we see the disciples in another season in another moment and the move was different. It was challenging, no doubt. And the Bible says that, you know, Jesus was pointing them in the right direction to overcome. He says, look, be alert, be spiritually alert, be on top of things and be praying. And, you know, the Bible goes and talks about that they were sleeping from sorrow that there was a, a degree of emotional exhaustion and perhaps even escapism at that moment. The problem with escapism is the problem still there sometimes even begins to enlarge while you're not dealing with it. We have a great advantage here tonight as born again believers, we have the promise of His empowering and the Holy Spirit we have. The power of the resurrection that can be a work that can turn a chapter, bring a new day. Hallelujah. Amen. We're gonna have an altar call in a moment. If you lifted your hand, you wanna come and pray. 
Amen. Nob, do you want to come with us? That's fine. Christians in this place, maybe that's where you've been at and you're at a moment where your prayer life is struggling and there's so much going on. And I would encourage you, if you don't even have the words to articulate, you need to pray in the Holy Ghost. You need to articulate, put some earnestness. The Bible says in Jesus at that moment, prayed more earnestly. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness or in our, our firmity and begins to pray the will of God from our spirit to God. It's a wonderful thing. Hallelujah. God can help. No doubt that season, that moment was going to change. No doubt there was dawn coming. God's supernatural help. Let's all stand, church. The altars are open. Amen. Too stressed not to pray. Let's believe God to help us tonight. Let's sing out a worship
Father in heaven, Lord. 